hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Imagine if you wanted to change your address and as soon as you did, the data went out to every company that you, emphasis on the you here, you wanted it to and immediately was updated. Or how about if governments were not able to quote-unquote disappear people or videos or information, especially when it comes to human rights? Would you like a world like that? If you said yes, then you'd like a world built around blockchain. Wait, David, I thought blockchain was Bitcoin, Dogecoin, or Ethereum. Isn't blockchain about money? You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, episode 269. And if you're curious about any of the topics I just mentioned, we have a fun guest on the show this week. Kai Graydon has been exploring the world of blockchain for over five years, and they have some unique things to share with us about and around blockchain and how we all could and may want to start using it sooner rather than later. Let's find out more about Kai and what he knows about blockchain. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. So welcome everyone back to The Queer Money Show. This this week we are uh, kicking off the first in our three-part series that we dive a little deeper into the technology behind what's going on in the world today, especially the world of money and exchange and trade. And to help us out with that, because John and I are, are novices on this topic too, we have invited Kai Graydon on the show. I found Kai via the website lgbttoken.org, which focuses on a little bit on the technology behind cryptocurrency and blockchain. And this particular episode, Kai is coming on to help us understand a little bit more about exactly what blockchain is. So welcome to the show, Kai. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Yeah. I would say <laughs> that there is the part of me that's really excited to hear about this and talk about this, but there's also the side of me that's like, and I'm sure for many of you who are listening, you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one, <laughs> right? Because sometimes it's, it, I think it's a little bit easier for us to understand the whole idea behind money and exchange because we're so used to the types of tools that we use today, but the progress helps us improve various aspects of our lives. And I think that's what the intent behind blockchain is. So maybe in a very, very, very basic, simple way, Kai, can you help us understand exactly what blockchain is? Yeah, absolutely. And I can actually start with how I got first introduced to it. 
because uh, if you were to talk to a, a developer, you would get a very in-depth in answer about the technology. If you talk to maybe an investor, you, you might get you know a different answer. But right. for me as a product marketer, I like to focus really on the use cases and how you apply blockchain. So I've been in what you could consider the, the blockchain industry for about five years now. I was traveling abroad in Asia, just meeting with friends, and I had a business idea. And as I was explaining this business idea, one of my friends was like, oh, you should look at you know, blockchain as a way to do it. And the first thought that I had in my head when he, he said this was, I was thinking of like literally like a physical wallet that you have. And like a metal chain that attaches like to your belt. <laughs> I had that wallet <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I need one when I, especially when I travel. And so like that, that was the vision I got in my head. But I started just you know kind of repeating that as I was talking about my business idea, trying to look smart, being like, yeah, you know, I have this business idea. I'm looking at using blockchain. I was actually able to recruit a few developers that way, even though I still didn't really understand. You know, blockchain itself can be uh, kind of a, an intense word because there's a lot of hype around it right now. It's, you know, definitely a new term when it comes to technology. But the way that I think about it is first starting with just thinking about what, you know, blockchain is. It's a type of distributed ledger technology. So if you think about a ledger, a spreadsheet, right, in Excel, you know, you got your, your debits and credits. Um, a distributed ledger is essentially saying that that spreadsheet is not owned by any one person or entity. So it's owned by like the collective and it cannot be changed. And you also, the, you know, each line item is anonymous. So you can't see exactly, you know, who was participating in the transaction and who it was for, but that it did happen. And when it comes to blockchain technology, you, so you think about that distributed ledger being, you know, owned by the collective. And each time you add that, you know, a thousand rows to it, that you're adding another block to the chain. And when you break it down like that, it becomes a lot more simple and thinking of, okay, it's really just a continuous, you know, spreadsheet uh, that we all collectively own and contribute to. Let me ask you, so if I understand correctly, each block in the chain would correspond with each line item on a ledger. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would um, kind of like chunk it together. So it'd be like a thousand rows would be another block in the chain. And so each time you add a thousand rows to the spreadsheet, if you're familiar with Excel, which mm -hmm. I assume if you're in the financial world, you are. <laughs> um, and, and so rather than just being like one transaction, it would be a group of transactions that are then uh, added to the spreadsheet or add to the change and cannot be changed. So there's no going back in and changing anything in it. It's just a, a continuous thing um, that's immutable. So so the big the key words when we're talking about like what are uh, the characteristics of a blockchain are it's immutable, it is censorship resistant and anonymous, and collectively owned and maintained by all of the people participating in that spreadsheet. <laughs> You know, I, I kind of have this picture in mind. I see a block and then something between that and another block, kind of like literally like a chain of blocks. And basically what you're saying is that it's almost like each block is a thousand rows. And as a thousand rows get added to this particular block, it becomes another or it becomes another block in the chain. And that almost like a a literal chain itself, 
when you want to add something to the chain, you add another link to the chain. You don't go back and change the original piece of chain. You just add something to it, right? Yeah, exactly. You used a couple of big words. <laughs> and immutable, that is that whole idea that it will never be changed. Like the original 1,000 lines always be there. We can always go back and reference those original lines. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, and and if I wanted to change something that relates to those original lines, I don't change that first block. I have to add a new block to the end that changes how that first block is looked at, I guess, maybe? Yes. Essentially, like there is no no changing it. And so it would just be another transaction that is added to all of it to say that that particular person that maybe like got the incoming transaction, well, now there's an outgoing transaction for it. And so like if you and I were to make a trade and make a trade back, we don't go back and change the original and just say it never happened. We would see that there's two trades instead of the first one. That makes more. Okay, that's good. That makes sense to me now. We don't want to erase the original transaction. We just want to update that there's another transaction that kind of basically, in a sense, refunded or reversed that transaction. It's almost like exactly. It, it, exactly. It's kind of. It is kind of like when you go to the go to the store and you want to return something. You don't. It doesn't. It, it mean maybe to your wallet. It's specifically to the balance of your of your account. It looks like a transaction never happened, but all the information is there that the two transactions did really happen. Exactly. Exactly. And you have the you know the return receipt printed to prove it as well. What's the value in having that? Why is there value in us not being able to go back and just remove the old transaction? So it all centers on the idea of trust or really the idea of being trustless or not having to rely on just trusting other people or trusting you know, their word. There's no handshake deals kind of thing. And there's actually a huge variety of applications for blockchain technology beyond just you know, the store of value or, or having you know, financial transactions. And some of the biggest ones that attracted me to blockchain were actually the social impact and social justice applications. Thinking about, okay, when there's, let's say, oppression happening or activists being silenced around the you know different protests are happening and there's you know like they're taking video and all this content well it can't just be deleted if they're saving it to the blockchain it will always be there and no government can come in and censor them uh-huh. another big one is supply chain management so if you instead of thinking of it as a ledger and thinking of it as like railroad tracks and you're always adding the railroad tracks and as you're delivering goods and services at each stop on the way, it's verified that it made it there. Well, when there is an outbreak like uh, Ebola or anything, having it tracked throughout the supply chain, you'll be able to immediately see where that particular product that's causing the outbreak came from to know exactly where you need to, to stop in the supply chain from getting out. So supply chain is is another uh, big one. And actually, there was an organization called Slave Free Trade that was applying blockchain and social impact 
to this and where they were creating a product where essentially you could certify that at every point in the supply chain, you could be confident that no you know, modern day slavery was used in the making of that product. Whereas today, you know, if you're going and, and buying something, who knows where it came from? You just have like maybe a, a chag that says made in USA or made in China. But using blockchain technology at each point, you're then able to see the entire history of that product. Ah. All right. So thank you for helping us understand that a little bit more. I, I, I think this whole idea of trust is one that kind of maybe is not one that we immediately think of. I, and I think that's because so many people right now kind of equate blockchain with money with Bitcoin or Ethereum or all these various cryptocurrencies. So they all automatically go to that and they go to the money aspect of it. It's very interesting to see that there's so many other ways that this can be used. But you brought up another point that I think is interesting because I think it helps maybe reinforce this idea of trust is that no one entity owns or controls the information. It's owned by the collective. Now, of course, I think when I when I hear the word collective, I start to think of, I think, it's Star Trek. But <laughs> <laughs> you're, when you're saying the collective, you're basically saying out in the Ethernet, out there in, in cyberspace, there are, there are lots of owners of this data, right? Yeah. Why does that help with this whole idea of trust? So the way that I think about it is like Facebook will have a data center where they're the ones that are responsible for maintaining the data, making sure that it you know stays live on the network to run their platform, and they're responsible for protecting it. Well, rather than having that kind of model, what we have is every person that you know, let's say wants to participate in Facebook off their like own computers, their own servers. So that data center is then divided up into a bunch of mini data centers spread all over the world, protected by uh, anyone that wants to essentially run a mini data center like that for this technology. And so, you know, you think like things like natural disaster could come in and wipe out a data center or you know, a hack on a centralized server. Well, instead, it's just... Uh, decentralizing it, so you'll hear decentralization a lot, to people running the network all over the world. And anyone that can access the technology and uh, afford the power bill for it is able to run one of those. So there's there's no you know restrictions or exclusion in that. And that's why the network is able to stay active and not be controlled, because essentially what's happening is the blockchain is being replicated in all those different servers. So if one person tries to come in and, and you know change a transaction and say, no, like the original block was different, you'll have a lot more other people saying, no, you're wrong. You're just trying to scan the network or provide false information. So, okay, let's go back to your, your example of Facebook. So you're saying that with blockchain, rather than trusting that Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg is going to protect my data and all the people I, I love knowing and uh, are related to that blockchain would allow me to sign up for Facebook and that would then make me part of that particular collective and then I too could sort of QC or 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 supervise how mine and everybody else's data was being used and protected exactly exactly does that then mean that everyone has blockchain on their 
computer or do I need to have a, a data center of sorts? If you wanted, like this in this example, if you wanted to use Facebook, you wouldn't have to be running the blockchain or the data center. You just you could if you wanted to. But no, essentially, it's anyone that wants to, it's actually called a node, run a node of the blockchain, is able to. You could uh, do it off of a computer, actually, uh, if you meet the certain requirements. Um, I say data center because I just, that's, I think, in more data center nodes. But all you, all you need is a computer. So I actually could run one off my uh, uh, laptop here that I'm using. But the complexities is that, you know, my amount of data storage is because you're downloading the entire blockchain and the entire history to that computer. And um, what you're actually doing when you're running the node is it's processing calculations. So you're essentially saying I'm lending my extra computing space on my computer to allow for these uh, transactions to take place because the whole blockchain is le leveraging cryptography, which is hashing the transactions, encrypting them so that it remains anonymous. And then it's being verified by all the people running the nodes, which are running the calculations. And another um, big use case, actually, which is a hot topic in the world now, is voting. So if voting were moved to the blockchain, then you would verify that only like, you know, one, one person is voting one time. You know that like the votes won't have to be recounted, you know, by people literally doing paper ballots, you don't have to worry about anyone coming in and hacking the voting machines because the entire record would be there for everyone to see, but protecting people's personal identity. So voting and governance is also another big use case that has yet to be really implemented that can leverage blockchain technology. In preparation for this, we did see a couple of examples, people talking about the benefit of applying this to voting. I thought that was very interesting, especially in light of the fact that no politician yet has really talked about this. <laughs> I think they're all scared, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, that's the thing, is is with you know blockchain technology, essentially, it eliminates the need for bigger corporations, for centralized governments, because we don't have to say, okay, we're all voting for one person, then go vote on our behalf. It's okay, anytime there's a vote, we can all vote and be confident that we're the ones participating in the democracy and don't have to like get to a voting station. We just have to have the access right there at our fingertips. We could all be voting from our mobile phones when, when a big vote happens. But that would require people actually still paying attention and participating in the active voting. Right. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? for Pride in June, or 365 days a year. Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. So a while back, John and I had uh, Jacob Goldstein on the podcast. Uh, Jacob wrote the book. Uh, he's actually the host of Planet Money podcast, and he wrote the book Money, the True Story of a Made-Up Thing. And in there, he referenced kind of this whole idea of why blockchain kind of got started. And it really was around this idea of privacy, privacy of information. And I think it was the, the cypherpunks, a group of, I think back then, most of them were developers, but I think there were also some thought leaders around the development community. They were all talking about this idea of being able to go out and buy something and not have to let 
Chase or Capital One or Discover or your local credit union, they don't have to know that you made this transaction, that that information could just be out there. Why is that kind of idea of anonymousness if that's even Anonymity, a maybe <laughs> <laughs> important to this idea of blockchain and the various use cases for it. Yeah, so I think it is around protection of people. The example, like just with Chase and privacy, like maybe you don't necessarily. Well, actually, there was a great example. Uh, it's a mar- in the marketing. It was about direct mail, and essentially, this household got a piece of mail that was talking about having a baby. And one of the children of the household was like pregnant, but then them getting this mail is kind of how everyone found out. And Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, there's so much data out there that's being used to, you know, sell us stuff that I can go like so far as to reveal things that maybe you don't want revealed. And there's a lot of different examples out there. You know, let, let's say, you know, with this whole, you know, movement to religious freedom, let's say Chase suddenly wants to say, well, we're, you know, only going to allow transactions that fall within our religious beliefs. And then suddenly you're not able to use your Chase card for, let's say, like going to a gay pride or, you know, donating to an LGBT cause you, you care about. And so by Chase being able to see that transaction and then having you know the ability to say, no, we don't agree with that suddenly, well, then you can't use your, your card anymore. So that's really the analogy that I would think of. But for me, like I see two extremes. I see either, you know, we have, you know, complete privacy where you are the owner of your own data and only you know, you know, what transactions you're having having all the information and being able to have complete control of that information, or we have radical transparency, whereas everything's open for everyone to see with the culture of you can't use that information to then oppress people or exclude people from participating in the economy. I think most people would probably err on the side of I'd rather be in ownership of my own data and having my, my privacy because um, it's my business and no one needs to know. And the reality is people will use that information against you somehow. Now, the challenge with that is you then also have to be the steward of your own data and maintain the security of it. And in the crypto world, as you'll probably discover, is, for example, you know, resetting your password. Well, if you forget your password, <laughs> there's no one there to reset it for you. Right. So you can't forget your password. And so when I think of the idea of like trustless, it's I can't even trust myself to, you know, not lose that password or, or not forget or not have it be jumbled among the millions of passwords that I have. I think that that's a very valid point because in preparation for, for this interview, I was sort of getting concerned that I don't necessarily want to cut out all middlemen. It's nice to be able to call Capital One and say, hey, I've locked myself out of my account or I don't really understand when this transaction happened, can you explain it to me? Or why was I why, why was I build this? And talk to somebody who has access to some information can explain things to me in simpler terms. So I'm I'm wondering how will blockchain most likely be used for the average customer initially or consumer initially? Yeah, well, I think there's it's such a transformative technology that eventually everything will be leveraging blockchain technology. We just won't necessarily be using the words blockchain or even thinking of that 
It's using blockchain. A lot of technologies right now, like the internet, computers, like most consumers don't know how it's actually running right. or what all of the technology that's <laughs> enabling it is called. They just use it. And right. eventually that's what blockchain technology will be is we're all just using it. We just are using it. We're not thinking about what it actually is or how it actually works. Although I would argue that in this day and age, we all need to start paying a little bit more attention and knowing the basics. Like even if I find myself without my phone that has all my numbers saved and I need to call somebody and I can't even remember their number because I'm just so used to it being ready available. There's a lot of things where it's like, okay, we need to start remembering that if technology is not always there to make our lives easier, how are we going to navigate this world? And same things like, you know, just navigating the world. If I don't have Google Maps to tell me exactly how to get there and which roads to take, and I have to then actually open a paper map if I can find one and figure out the route, <laughs> am I able to do that? And I would say probably a lot of youth maybe don't know how to do that because they've never had to. Other people might need a little bit of a, a refresher on those kinds of basic, basic ways to navigate life. You know, it's similar, maybe I, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but it's, I guess it maybe is kind of similar to the fact that almost everything we do today runs through the internet, right? But most of us don't actually know the actual functions of each of the pieces of the internet, right? This podcast right now is being recorded on the internet because we are in Las Vegas and Kai, you are, I, can't, I forget where you're at. <laughs> Georgia. Right. So, rural Georgia. Right. So, we're on the other side of the country. And many of us think, you know, kind of this whole idea, oh, well, we're just on a phone call, and we're recording a phone call, but this is actually data flying around the world right now that's creating this podcast. And then we will, in turn, package this and send it off to somebody, and they will then produce it. Similar with blockchain, you're saying that there will be lots of functions that blockchain will do that many of us won't know that they actually are blockchain, but that there's some benefits to it actually being blockchain, right? So that the fact that, like you said, some of the, it, it, it's, it's, and I forgot the word you used, non-immutable, Immu immutable. immutable, right? It's immutable. So, right, they, it can't be changed. And we want that, we want some of our data to never, ever be changed. And then we For want the record that, of that data to not be changed. Right. And we want that data to be secure. We want it to be trustworthy. So I think that there are a lot of benefits out there that we just don't necessarily have to know specifically that it's operating through blockchain. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you touched on this a little bit, but could you maybe extrapolate on what unique benefits blockchain might provide the LGBTQ community? Specifically, I, I think as you you know look around the world at human rights issues and, and human rights violations, and really the idea of censorship is the big one. In places like Russia, where you can't even like have a rainbow flag, or other places where they're you know trying to host a pride parade. Happy Pride Month, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Thank> you too. <laughs> for you to be somewhere where you're continuously being silenced or or oppressed, and you want to get that information out to the rest of the world so that you can you know enlist help. Well, if you know essentially you have a government or you know people blocking your your truth, blocking the the reality of your experience so that nobody else believes you, you now with blockchain have a way to say like, no, like look at, you know, the video that was taking place or, or like look at the oppression and it cannot be changed. It cannot be, you know, deleted 
uh, with the click of a button so that you will have that information, you know, forever to be able to prove that some not so great things are happening so that you can get, you know, people from around the world to, to come in and, and lend support. So and this is good. This is a very tongue in cheek example of it. But what the next time the ruler of Iran says there are no homosexuals in our country, we're going to be able to say, yeah, well, look at all these grinder accounts that are there. But you don't know who any of these people are, because all protected by blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think that kind of I, I don't have a grinder account, but I think you have to pay for it now. Or maybe there's a level you have to pay for it depending on, on the services. But if you don't necessarily want your bank to know that you have a grinder account because you just don't want to share that with, with strangers, you could open that or and pay for that those features, grinder two point with blockchain and you don't have to worry about your bank knowing about it. Or your mom and dad. Or your mom and dad. <laughs> if you wanted to. <laughs> In that example, you also could just get a, a virtual card where essentially your bank just sees that you've paid for this virtual anonymous card and then use that card for other transactions. So there's still ways to get around it from a financial perspective. Mm -hmm. But with the blockchain, you're saying that like there's no ability for the entities to control. It's it's not just about privacy. It's about like control of that data, especially with like the idea that so much of our assets are becoming digital assets. It's like, I can't remember the last time I even dealt with cash, but let's say any of my banks want to say, actually, you know what, you know, Keila, you don't have any money. And suddenly like I'm left here with, you know, no sense of value, no, no sense of assets to my name. But then if we even just think of the US dollar, well, what is that? It is just a representation of supposedly uh, gold that's backing the whole system. And so with the, the shift to blockchain technologies, it's really a, a shift into a people's revolution to say that we're not going to rely on these central authorities to you know, maintain it and govern everything. We're going to rely on, on ourselves and, and us participating as a collective whole. Well, I think it's brilliant that you brought that up because I, I think when people hear about you know currency changing. I think they can't really wrap their heads around it, or, or they're even maybe not even open to the idea of it. But that's exactly what Jacob Goldstein's point was in his book, that money is a made-up thing, in that currency, whatever it is, whether it's the dollar, the yen, the ruple, whatever, it's just a collective agreement that we all say that this piece of paper is worth $5 or, or $100. The piece of paper in and of itself is is worth very little. It, I think I think that an actual dollar bill is worth less than a dollar uh, if you wanted to break it down. And so it's just a collective agreement. And so this is what we're doing here with blockchain, maybe doing here with blockchain, is just transferring the collective agreement saying that this too is worth something of value based on what the collective says says it's worth. Exactly. I mean, how do you how do you solve for the just extreme uh, wealth gap? Well, we all just decide that billionaires aren't billionaires anymore, yeah. <laughs> right? We, you know, don't take their money, completely change it, and and say no. Actually, you you're not worth that much. And for me, in my in my life for the last several years, I've actually shifted away from even using currencies at all and doing more of an exchange. So if I have someone, you know, that let's say, you know, can do accounting, I will offer marketing services for them. And therefore it's more of a barter system or just an exchange of what we're able to provide 
to the economy rather than saying, okay, we're just going to rely on representations of value, which then get taxed and you have to report the income and have a tax liability and, and all of those things. So I, I think you know that is, that is something that very realistically we could be shifting back into more of a barter economy or a skills-based or commodity-based kind of system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great philosophical question that maybe we want to tackle in, in future episodes. I think it's very, <laughs> very entertaining. Right. right. A decentralization of government and <laughs> removing the tax base is probably one that there's lots of different viewpoints yeah, on. Yeah, reducing the power of the Fed, right? Yeah. I mean, they, think exactly. of how much control they have over the, the global monetary system, let alone the, the United States. And so that's, that's a very... Interesting philosophical. Maybe we have to have Jacob Goldstein and Kai back to talk about it together. <laughs> they can duke it out. <laughs> yeah, let them duke it out. <laughs> so you mentioned before that you think it's a good idea for for folks to stay abreast of this technology, right? As this technology continues to grow and have more of an impact on our everyday lives, it's important for us to do that. I think for LGBT folks, it kind of sometimes can feel like there aren't great resources that are are using our needs in, in these kind of use cases or examples. Where would you suggest that maybe we go to learn a little bit more about this kind of thing, about blockchain, more about cryptocurrencies, those these kind of things that may have a little bit more of an LGBTQ slant? Yeah, so that's where I would direct everyone to the Crypto Queers group, which is you know, a group only in the sense that there's multiple people coming together to specifically talk about crypto and blockchain and to help each other learn uh, and network. It, you know, is a, a group that just organically sprang up to try to, as people were going to different conferences, just find each other that wanted to find that kind of community and focus on those kind of issues. And it is on Telegram presently. So Telegram is a, essentially, it's very much like Skype, but it's a, a platform for exchanging messages or creating groups. It's been highly adopted by people in the blockchain and crypto community, but there's a Telegram group where we specifically have a group called Crypto Queers, spelled with uh, Qs. And I think even CryptoQueers.org might still be up and running, but that is actually where I found community. So I was added to the group, um, and at the time, I think it was like, you know, maybe uh, 50 people, and it's now like well over 100, and people all over the world, but um, it's a group just that it wants to welcome people into the crypto world, lend a helping hand, support, um, offer insights, and so that definitely would be a really great resource for anyone that really wants to uh, get in and learn, but maybe is a little, you know, I'm not sure where to start or, or hesitant about uh, diving into some of the, the crypto spaces, which can be very, they say tribal. So like Bitcoin versus Ethereum, um, they can be very, very, uh, you know, like same thing like with sports. <laughs> yep. But um, the Crypto Careers Group is it's, it's just about making sure that LGBTQ people that want to get involved have some friendly people there and willing to help. We're not familiar with Telegram, but I love the irony of this very futuristic technology being discussed on a platform named Telegram. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. So this has been immensely valuable for us. Uh, we, Like David said, kicking this off, we're very novice at this topic and you really helped explain it in, in terms that, that we can maybe become a little bit more <laughs> dangerous. So we appreciate you coming on the show. Where all can our listeners learn more about you and stay connected with you if they'd like? 
Yeah, so I am on pretty much any social medias, and I have my my own uh, a website, kylegraden.com, but I go by Kai. If you want to reach out to me, you should be able to find me somewhere on the, the interwebs and, and just reach out. I try to be pretty active. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again uh, for coming on the show. And uh, like we said, maybe we need to have you come back on future episodes to dive into some of the philosophy or philosophical perspectives of cryptocurrency and blockchain. Yeah, well, I, I definitely uh, I like to stick in the more philosophical realm because there's still <laughs> so much of the technology and how it's being used that I myself am trying to figure out. And I, I hope I was able to explain it in um, layman's terms, as they say, so that it just seems less daunting. But as you dive into technology and talk with developers, that's where I you know, start to have that deer in the headlight looks like, wait, what, like, what are we talking about anymore? Yeah. I think we all get there sometimes when we're talking to developers. I used to work with developers. So, but it's a good place to start, right? I mean, it, every conversation adds a little bit to your knowledge, just like every episode of this podcast should add a little, hopefully add a little bit to your knowledge. <laughs> so thank you again, Kai. We really appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you and hearing from you more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash happy. Thanks again, Kai, for a great show to help us all understand a little bit more about blockchain and how it's not just about money. We're all novices on this topic, and you've helped us learn just a little bit more. Here's your queer money takeaway from this week's show. Technology can be a scary thing until we learn how it works. So explore the world of blockchain a little bit more, especially if you're thinking about how it can fit into your investing portfolio or how it may affect the rest of our lives. Remember again, you're listening to the Queer Money Podcast. And if you have show topics or questions for the show, feel free to post a comment in the Queer Money Facebook group. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.